Sales Enablement Society, Stories from the Trenches, where enablement practitioners share their real-world experiences. Get the scoop on what's happening inside sales enablement teams across the global SES member community. Each segment of Stories from the Trenches share the good, the bad, and the ugly practices of corporate sales enablement initiatives. Learn what worked, what didn't work, and how obstacles were eliminated by corporate teams and leadership. Sit back, grab a cold one, and join host Paul Butterfield, Vice President of Sales Enablement at Instructure, for casual conversations about the wide and varied profession of sales enablement, where there is never a one-size-fits-all solution. Welcome back, everybody. Really appreciate you taking the time to listen to another episode of Stories of the Trenches, the sales enablement podcast that's always been by us for us and will always continue to be, where we have we learn from practitioners all over the world about how they're solving sales enablement challenges and overcoming obstacles and attaching revenue back to their efforts, etc. Now, we have a little bit of a departure from that today. The guest that we have, I'm very excited about, but is not a practitioner in the conventional sense, but he's got a topic that I know is going to be really eye-opening for all of you. So with, with that, I'd like to introduce Keenan uh, as our guest this time. And Keenan, do you want to just um, maybe just brief introduction about yourself and what you do? I'm the CEO and founder of a sales growth company. We work with organizations who find themselves with shrinking revenue, long sales cycles, low win rates, or um, you know, less than desirable average ASP, and we help fix that stuff. And I'm also the author of the best-selling book, Gap Selling. And my guess is that a lot of our listeners are familiar with you from your extensive social media work, which is where the origin, which is really the origin of the topic we're going to talk about. But before we get into that, I'd love for people to get to know you a little bit more on the personal level, Keenan. So let's suppose that Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel retires. You get the phone call to take over the show. It's all your own. Who would your first guest be and why did you choose them? Ideally, I would want, he's dead now, but I would have liked Scalia or Thomas or one of the far right, Thomas or Scalia, I was Scalia's dead, so I'll go with Clarence Thomas. I'd want one of them. And, that, and that's for me personally. I don't know how much TV that would create, but that's for me personally. If I had to, if I, someone forced me, like, you got to pick someone that's more desirable for people to watch. Wow. Uh, okay, I'm on the spot. We'll go with one of the Kardashians. <laughs> okay, yeah, you probably can't miss with them. So let's go back to who you would want to choose. Why? Clarence Thomas. Why? Why Clarence Thomas for you? I am fascinated by social, by society, social issues, socialism, not socialism, um, uh, sociology. Um, fascinated by um, government um, and how we create an orderly society, particularly in the U.S., considering the Constitution, how new it is, et cetera, and how divided we are. And I can't process originalism. So Scalia is one of the most well-known people for originalism. Um, our boy Clarence Thomas is a big originalist. And when I sit down, I watch them, and I read their decisions, I, I, I don't get it. I, I find it to be the biggest crock of shit ever to walk the planet. So I and I've asked friends who, who are, you know, lawyers or so-called claimed originalists, and they can't do a good job explaining it to me. So I want to go right to the source. I want 
to be able to sit down across from Thomas and be like, walk me through how you are an originalist and and can argue the uh, the 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 preface the preferatory I can't remember the word beginning of the amendment two and say it does nothing to do with militia, but then turn around and say you're an originalist, but then discount three fifths of a human like three fifths clause. Like I don't understand how you pick and choose. It's like a religion to me. So I'm like I, I want to understand the logic. I want you to walk me through this so I can get my arms around. That may be more compelling TV than you might think. It sounds pretty good to me. Back to why I invited you to be on the show. And again, thank you for taking time to do this. Earlier yeah. this year, you posted, and I don't remember if it was on LinkedIn or if it was on, on, on one of your other sites, but a video where you talked about learning as a skill. And your audience uh, that you were directing it to were really talking to salespeople about the fact that they need to take ownership for 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 uh, advancing themselves and developing themselves and and you know which is which is a great point but what i what it made me think of is what should sales enablement teams and leaders be doing to foster that environment so to kick off if you would just share with the audience a little bit of, of what you mean when you talk about learning as a skill deliberate learning and that sort of thing just to set the stage yeah, I mean, basically what I said is I said that that learning is something we own. Can people help us learn better? Of course. Like people can help us ride bikes better. People can help us ski better. People can help us become better lawyers or, you know, better cooks. I mean, obviously people can help us do things better. But at the end of the day, learning is a very personal um, endeavor. It's a very personal uh, um, thing. And so um, – to learn, it's a skill set. Like, no one taught us how to learn. Like, <clears throat> people put you in school and said, okay, start to learn. Some people taught us how to study, right? There's all kinds of study guides and study stuff like that. But no one's actually taught us how to learn. Like, how do you learn something? How do you maximize your ability to learn something, to take information in, to process that information, um, et cetera? And I don't think anybody's ever been taught that. I don't think most people understand what it even means to learn. So, you know, I, I put my own little spin on it and I said, basically learning, in my opinion, takes two things. Um, and if we have any psychologists out there or anybody who's actually an expert in this, and you know how to teach people to learn, it, help me, help me learn. But um, what I've been able to gather is it takes two things. First and foremost, it takes vulnerability. You have to be vulnerable with yourself and your surroundings. You have to be willing to say, I don't know. You have to be willing to accept that you're not the best or that you could get better or there, or the people that can teach you things that you didn't know or that <clears throat> that someone who's not as good as you can still teach you something or somebody like or, or that you may have gotten worse like you have to be vulnerable with yourself and vulnerable with your surroundings if you truly truly want to learn okay then the second thing i realize is it takes a, a tremendous amount of self-awareness in order to learn because you have to basically ask yourself you have to do an inventory. You have to do an inventory of your of your of the area you want to learn in. What do I know? What don't I know? Um, <clears throat> uh, what don't I know that I don't know? Um, uh, you know, am I as really as good as I think I am? Um, am I being open and honest with myself when I ask these questions? Am I really not as good as I think I am? And you got to really do a self assessment to figure out really where you are in your learning goal, where you are from a skill set perspective or a knowledge perspective or a, a development perspective so that you can say, oh, snap, I'm not good at this. I'm not good for these reasons. These are the areas I'm terrible. These are the outcomes they have. This is why I'm not good. Wow. Let me go ask somebody. Let me go help help. Let me use my vulnerability to say, hey, 
How about that good? Can you help me out? And that's like, if you don't have those two things, you're dead in the water. So the other thing that jumped out at me uh, in, 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 the, in your piece was you said that we need to spend more time teaching people to learn. That's not something that gets taught in school. It's almost discouraged in, in, in a lot of professions. And knowing that sales enablement teams are charged with, you know, helping those revenue teams learn what they need to to, to, to uh, overachieve on their quota and prospect and all of those things, it really would fall to us. That's what jumped out to me, at least, that, that it would fall to us in our professional capacity that maybe we should be thinking about, are we teaching these revenue generators how to learn or are we just dropping knowledge on them? So when you think about that, let, let's talk about that for a minute, right? What, where do you see sales enablement's role in there? How can we or should we be teaching people to learn? Because I just sort of discovered these concepts, which may or may not be accurate. Like I said, I just made this up, but it seems pretty good to me. I'm not sure I would know how to teach someone to be more vulnerable. Renee Brown wrote a book on vulnerability, and maybe she talks about how you can teach someone to be vulnerable, but I don't know if you can teach someone as opposed to show people that vulnerability is okay, mm-hmm. right? So <clears throat> I don't know if I can go in and, as a sales enablement person and be like, all right, let me teach you how to be vulnerable. What I think I can do, though, is I can go in and say, listen, as part of our training, um, your ability to grasp this information and get grasp it quickly and, and use it to your benefit requires vulnerability. And then define what vulnerability is. So vulnerability is, the, like I said before, you know, your ability to recognize that you're fallible and the willingness to be open to feedback and open to coaching and being open to recognize that you may not be as good as you are and be open to recognizing that you make mistakes and being open to, to let people see those mistakes. Like define that whole concept of vulnerability and explain to people that it's not a weakness but a strength. Um, build a culture where people understand that vulnerability is something the organization embraces and it's not something that they um, vilify. Um, And so really just build, I think one of the ways to do it is just really build a culture around that so people feel comfortable being vulnerable. Um, Because I think people know how, if Mm -hmm. you will. I just don't know if they feel comfortable doing it because our society is one that often sees vulnerability as weakness. So I think that's the first thing I would do. And I think then the second thing I would do is teach the self-assessment piece. I would, you know, jump off the vulnerability wagon or, you know, use that as a jumping off point, not leave it, but transition from the vulnerability standpoint into the self-assessment, like really getting honest with your skill sets, really getting honest with your level of knowledge, self-deception, where are you deceiving yourself and your assessment of your skill sets and your assessment of your capabilities and your assessment of your outcome. I think there you could do a little more teaching and help people literally take a look at what they've accomplished. And then challenge them to look at what have they done? What are the poor decisions they've made? Um, what didn't they know that prevented them from achieving those goals, right? And, and being able to tie that back to, see, because you didn't have this and you don't know these types of things, that's why you're not where you want to be or that's not why you're delivering what you want. So <clears throat> be open to recognizing that, hey, I don't know what I should know. There's a lot more I can learn from. I'm not as, you know, and just do that. I think doing those two things alone will drive all kinds of conversations and changes in behavior. All right, that makes sense to me. I'm not. I, I I'm not an expert on some of those things either. But like I said, um, let's let's keep going with it because I I can I can relate. So when you when you refer to the need to uh, spend more time, I'm, I'm trying to uh, quote as directly as I can remember. Spend more time training to learn. So we've got the vulnerability, which we have to model 
more than teach is what I think I hear you saying. You probably can and give people culture. Culture. Okay. And yep. and there yep. probably are some tools that you can develop and some skills you can teach to help people with self-assessment. Some are probably better at it than others. And so you've got those things or you're getting those things in place. Is there a teaching aspect to teaching people to learn? Um, you referenced in your video that in school you learn how to study, but that's not learning how to learn. Um, no. So, so what do you think... Is there something actively that a sales enablement folks should be a next step for us to learn how to learn mm. to teach people how to I learn? I don't know if there is. I don't know if there's a way you can, again, I, I'm going to, I'm sure there is. So now I'm curious. Now I want to go learn. Mm-hmm. If there is a way to teach someone to learn, like literally give them steps, skill sets that you have to improve upon, but that you can actually train. But I feel like learning to learn is a lot of soft skill and I don't know how to train soft skill per se, but, when you think about deliberate learning or being vulnerable, you can teach someone to, or being curious, right? I don't know if you can teach someone to be curious, but you can certainly highlight the benefits of being curious. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly transition curiosity into how to ask questions. You can certainly um, teach people some type of critical thinking skills, mm-hmm. right? So here's the information. How are you using it? How do you structure the information? Um you know, how do you draw conclusions? So I'm sure there are ways. I mean, I feel like I'm letting the audience down, but I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a um, learning development map, you know, expert. So how you translate many of the things that I believe into actual learning modules that can improve someone's learning, mm-hmm. that's, there's a, there's a business opportunity for someone if they want to grab it. I agree. And, yeah. and I think mean, absolutely. I'm not an L&D expert either. Uh, you know, sales enablement came to me late in my career. I'm a, I'm a sales guy. It's still how I see myself first and foremost. Um, so, so where I do think you have um, a, a helpful perspective on this is as a best-selling author and a and a teacher of gap selling, which I don't know how how many how many sales people do you estimate are using that at this point, or or can you because you don't have you know people buy the book, but I mean hundreds of thousands. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, because we've sold over 75,000 books, and I'm mm-hmm. pretty comfortable knowing that we've trained tons of organizations who the people haven't even bought the book. Right. Right? They okay. just went through the training. or So, yeah. Yeah, hundreds of thousands. Hopefully someday millions, but we're getting there. So, when you develop that training, when you deliver that training, how are you helping that audience set themselves up to learn? Granted, they've their company probably paid the money. It probably didn't come out of their pocket to come to this. And, and I think you, I think you've probably seen the same thing that I have is you've always got some people in the class that don't think they can be taught anything. Um, and, and so that's where I think your perspective is interesting. Someone who's very experienced in, in actually teaching salespeople, any, any, you know, best practices that you've established for, for your sessions. This is where the concept came from having taught, kept selling now for three years, just under three years or just about three years, I started to see different personalities manifest in the trainings. And there was the handful of, think of like a bell curve. There's a handful of people who were just on the edge of their seats and they were asking tons of questions and you could see them processing the information. And you could see them like, how do I use this? Man, if I could figure out how to use this, I could sell more stuff. I could do this. Mm-hmm. I could do that. You could just literally see them, right? Yep. trying to learn how to use it so that they could benefit from it. Then you saw the, high, the, the main section, the, you know, the top of the bell curve people, all 
paying attention, learning, asking questions, but you really didn't see them trying to embrace it, to internalize it, mm-hmm. right? And so they would walk away with, you know, class was amazing, but we always, we always get great reviews, but you can just see who's truly internalizing it. And you know that when they walk away or they get back to their desk, they're going to be changed. Like everything's changing. And then there are the people you can see who, and the, the other end of the bell curve, who are just, you can just see they're resisting it. I've already done this. This isn't preventing any value to me. It's, I, I already know what discovery looks like. It's one of those I know, I know, mm-hmm. I knows. Right. And as you, the way our training is set up <clears throat> is there are certain exercise milestones. And they're, they're like this on purpose so that if somebody is who believes they're that type of person, like they believe they, they get it, they believe they do it, there's an opportunity indirectly that would highlight if they're truly a gap seller, if they truly know how to do this stuff, if they truly have a grasp of this stuff by a quick evaluation of existing opportunities. And when you get at these existing opportunities, the ones who think they have it or understand it the most, they're unable to actually do the exercise, right? And so it, it, the data calls them out. I don't okay. say it. The data. Okay. Right. Like you said, you're great. This is the stuff that defines great. Where is it? Right. Well, oh, well, well, like, no, not well. Like, where is it? Like, there it is. You said you're, I mean, it's a dumb metaphor, but, oh, you said you're a world-class sprinter and you said you're great and you're super fast and, and you beat everybody in your, in your high school and you beat all the kids at your D13 and you think you're great. Great. A world-class sprinter sprints at sub 10-5. Let's race. They run 11-1. Yeah, you're fast. You're faster than the other kids in your school, but you ain't no you ain't no world class sprinter. Data proves it. Well, it was a bad day. Oh, I had a bad. No, fuck you. No, you're not. And so what happens there is some like, okay, you got me. You're right. And then they stop moving into learning mode. The other groups start getting into the defensive mode, and they double down. They double down. Now that's interesting. And then so, they, go ahead. Yeah. Finish your thought. No, that's it. Okay. So I get I get using the data. I, I think it's a great concept and, and, and using that rather than making it personal to get them into learning mode. But you just said something interesting when you said then the other groups double down. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. They just argue how they, they refuse. This is the vulnerability part I'm talking about, right? This is where I mm-hmm. came up with the concept. They refuse to accept the fact that they're not a world-class sprinter. Oh, my God. World-class sprinter. They literally um, have convinced themselves that they are great. And in the face of data that suggests they're not as good as they think they are, rather than looking at that as an amazing opportunity to, to close the gap, if you will, to actually get to where they want to be, because really, if you think you're great, you admire, you, you, you have an affinity towards that thing you think you are. And if you're not that, you should be excited to try to get there. Like if I think I'm a world-class player and I'm not there and someone shows me, I'm like, damn, I want to be that. I thought I was that, so how do I get there? But another group is like, no, 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 no. I, you know, this is subconscious. I refuse to accept that I'm not a world-class sprinter. And it's you or your definition of where I come from. World-class sprinters don't run uh-huh. a 10-9. They run it, right? They run 11-2 and I ran 11-1. Or the, <clears throat> I, you made me run this without training practice or you know, I haven't been, uh, I haven't, uh, what do you call it? I haven't been training. So normally I would do it. Or, um, you started to stop or late. Like every, there's an excuse for everything other than accepting what's up. One of the challenges I've always found, I would love your insights on is you're right. You've got these people that are going to sit in the back of the room, whether virtually or literally with their arms crossed 
some of them are going to respond to the data you, you put in front of them, and they're going to go into learning mode. Some never are. Not a lot you can do at that point, at least in my experience, but yet you've got this other group of people that actually are there to learn, and you want to give them the best experience possible. Any best practices or things that you can share with us on how you do that kind of change management and, and keep a great experience for those that want to learn? Well, yeah, I just don't let the folks with their arms crossed to affect everybody else. And in, and in many ways, when they get to that dug-in phase, um, they're not challenging anymore. They're just riding it out. So they're sitting in the back paying no attention, you know, maybe on their phone if it's virtual or, or multitasking. So I never really have run a risk. I can only think of one time a person not only was dug in, but then they were trying to fight the concept the whole way, which was disrupting people. Mm-hmm. But I can only think of one time that's ever happened. Um, so what I do and what we do here at, at a sales growth company is we set the, the table up front and we basically say, look, we're passionate about this and we're excited. We've seen this work. We've seen gap selling change the lives of salespeople. We've seen it change the lives of sales organizations. We've seen it catapult sales organizations to places where they're purchased um, through acquisition. Everybody makes a shitload of money. Like, we, like we've seen how well gap selling works. So we're excited about this. So we're doing everything we can to make it entertaining, engaging, funny. We don't do that much lecture. It's lots of um, uh, questions. And, and so we're doing our part. However, we can't make you learn. So you have to make that choice for yourself, right? And that's where then I go into the whole vulnerability part. Then we, give it, we explain to people what that looks like, why they need to be vulnerable, why they need to do self, self-assessing. And so we, we basically lead people down this road. And then we say, so if we see you not participating, we're going to try to bring you in. We're going to try to get you engaged. We're going to try to help you learn. But if you decide to draw a line and you're not getting it, we're going to let you go. But if we're not, if, like I literally say in my sessions, I say, if I pull back and I stop arguing with you or I pull back and I stop engaging with you, that means I've given up on you. Because I am not going to put in more effort for your learning than you're willing to put in for yourself. So start this, if you start this learning from this angle, what can I get out of this? What can I steal from Keenan, take from Keenan? What can I steal from, you know, Cliff or any of our other trainers? What can I steal from them? Like I get from this to be better. How do I maximize this time? And that's the question you should ask yourself. And if that's the question you ask yourself and you come up with an answer, my commitment is to actually get you that. But if you choose not to, I'm not going to waste my time. Totally fair. Uh, and again, I know that's something yep. that all of us face. So I appreciate your insights on that, Keenan. I tell this to organizations too. Yeah. I think, and I, look, I'm a good liberal, um, pretty far left, but what I will not do, and I guess a lot of people consider this the right, is I will not take on other people's shit. I will not do it. And so we hire for coachability, we hire for learnability, we hire for deliberate learning. When I work with customers and they talk about this, I think you need to start with people who want to learn. You want to start mm-hmm. with people who have your own personal development goals. You want to start with people who, who are naturally curious. You want to start with people who don't like being stagnant. Like you want to start with those people. And mm-hmm. then you want to give them an environment where they can where they can learn from there. But if for some reason, somewhere along the lines, you make a bad hire or, or someone's been there for a while and they're starting to get started in their ways, you give them a path out. Not a path out of the business. You give them a path to get out of that, that stagnant place. But if they don't take it, don't you dare own it. Don't you blame learning and development because Tom is, just won't get with the program. Tom needs to beat it. Mm-hmm. Get rid of Tom, right? You can't make people do things that they've decided for themselves that they don't want to do something. Fine. Don't fight that. Roll with it. Right. Roll right along. Right. See you, Tom. That's why I'm a big fan of hire slow, fire fast, because I agree with you. 
Um, you know, at some point you do what you can. Clearly, this individual is not going to change, has no interest in changing, and we don't have time for that. These were some great insights, Keenan. But I always like to go out on the same question, and so I hope you'll indulge me on this. If you had access yep. to a time machine and you could go back, maybe it's when you first got out of school, but some very early phase in your career, and you could coach yourself on one key principle that you wish you'd understood then, what would it be? Patience and insight. Okay. Slow down and get more information. I don't know that I was great at that when I was younger either. So <laughs> that probably maybe I should send you back in time to coach me uh, when I was 20. Yeah, I mean, but yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean, I, you know, I, I was, I just didn't spend enough time thinking about what would the ramifications be, who could be impacted negatively or positive, what are the other people's objectives and goals? What are they trying to accomplish? Are they aligned? Are they not aligned? Uh, what's going on in between the lines? Am I seeing this for what it is as opposed to what I want it to be? Is it something I really should be involved in? Just be more patient. And that doesn't mean go slow. Just be more patient mm -hmm. and more understanding. Just get more, more information. All right. I think that's great advice. So that does bring us to the end of another episode. I want to thank Keenan, author of Gap Selling, which is maybe how most of you know him, but also CEO of a sales growth company, for spending time with us today. Tune in again in two weeks. We'll be dropping a new episode and would love to have you continue down that path with us. Till then, goodbye. My pleasure, man. Thanks for joining this episode of Stories from the Trenches. For more sales enablement resources, be sure to join the Sales Enablement Society at www.sesociety.org. That's www.sesociety.org.